to Safe Space, the ABA podcast. My name is Michelle Zeman, and I am your host this evening. Um, please be sure to watch out for the two, two code words for the podcast, so that way you can get your free CEUs. As BCBAs, we love free CEUs, so we definitely want to make sure you get those. So make sure you listen all the way through. Um, I'm super excited about this guest in particular. Um, I met with her a few weeks ago. She really seems like such an awesome BCBA, and she has a very cool perspective on applied behavior analysis with relation to reading. Um, something that, you know, yes, we talk about doing research all the time. We talk about, you know, getting caught up on our readings, but when it comes to literature and ABA, you know, we don't really talk too much about that, like how we can tie that together. Um, so that being said, I'm super excited to welcome um, Priscilla to the podcast tonight. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm really excited. Me too. So Priscilla, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about how you started in applied behavior analysis. Oh, for sure. So I've been B a BCBA for a couple years now. Um, I actually, funny story, I got started in the field after I graduated with my bachelor's in deaf studies. And I was super convinced I was going to be a teacher for the deaf and hard of hearing. Yeah. And I couldn't afford grad school. So what does one do when they cannot afford grad school? They go into working. So I got a job working with um, independent with um, adults that were in independent living. So most of those adults were had some kind of intellectual disability. So my job was like a support person, right? Yeah. And that's where I met my first BCBA. And I was just, I don't know, I just fell in love with it. It was, it was amazing to see this person come in and literally give us ecological arrangements to just just help somebody like go through their day like go through their life and it was just really amazing and that's how I kind of fell into it oh that is so cool and I I really love that that was your first exposure to the field you know like um more commonly than not I feel like we come from the world of we fell in by accident and then we started at a clinic so it's just, it's so yeah. nice to hear a different perspective I love that so much uh, so yeah. Yeah, and you know, um, I'd love to hear a little bit too. So, you know, you are the BCBA bookstagram on Instagram. Yes. And so I would love to hear all about, um, you know, your journey with integrating literature um, in your practice as a BCBA. Yeah, that actually goes back to my undergrad. So like I mentioned before, I got my undergrad in deaf studies. And I think that was really the first time I had ever seen um, reading like firsthand experiences to really inform me as a person that, you know, even though there's medical professionals, they're not always looking out for the disabled person in the situation, right? So um, I know when we talked a couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned like, I got out of my deaf studies program and I had read so many different testimonials and experiences and even some of my classmates had shared different things with me and I really was really turned off to the speech field I I remember taking a class on like the inner ear and yeah. being like wow this is amazing right like medical part of it but I yeah really, I, I realized really quickly that medical model really didn't speak to deaf culture or deaf people and wonderful. as I was coming up in ABA I realized I am applying a therapy to a group of people I don't know a lot about. And I think that always really like stuck with me. So I always made it a mission to make sure that I was integrating that when I could, right? Like when I didn't yeah. have kids and I wasn't a parent, it was really important for me to read parenting books that parents with the children of autism um, were reading, right? Um, because I felt like they were going to come to me and ask me like these random questions about things. Again, I wasn't a parent. I didn't know anything about. And then as I progressed in my career, I realized like a big chunk that I'm missing is a lot of these autistic voices or these people that did experience ABA as children. And where are they now? Right. Right. And I don't know. That was just a really big, important part of 
me coming up in the field. Yeah, you know, and I'm so glad you talk about that too, because, you know, for me being autistic myself and a practitioner, I feel like that's missing as a whole. And even though like there are autistic people who practice ABA, um, there's also a lot of people who don't practice ABA or there might be autistic people who've been through ABA and may have seen that struggle. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so, no, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm so curious to know, too, because, you know, like when it comes to hearing about like autistic voices and when it comes to hearing about, you know, um, like autistic people's experiences with ABA, you know, um, thinking thinking a lot about like how we can lift the autistic community up and make their voices known. Um, what are some suggestions for some literature for BCBAs to get um, get into? Um, that way they can really start discovering that more. Oh, man. Oh, how much time do we have on this podcast? Because we could go <laughs> on about this. Um, I think the first, uh, the first book I, re I recommend to a lot of people, um, and this was something that I think I've read you know, a couple of years back, and it was something that I, I've always kind of pushed, which is um, a different key. And this is one of the first books I read, um, kind of like on my journey of how do I integrate, you know, these stories, these memoirs, this history into my practice, because that's, you know, what I learned in my in my bachelor's degree, I learned a lot about history, I learned a lot about um the deaf experience in America. So I was looking for kind of something really similar in autism and a different key, very, very good book. It It is very, I don't know, I, I really loved it. And I always recommend it whenever I can, because I think it talks about the evolution of autism in America, right? Okay. And one of my favorite stories from that book is, and I might be butchering this because it's been a while since I read it, but basically... Okay. We had, you know, this graduate student that trained under LOVAS and LOVAS okay. at that time, you know, was a big thing for for autistic children and and disabilities in general. And so many families wanted to work with him, but he only had the clinic in, in UCLA. And this yeah. particular graduate student went to New York where they were doing, you know, a LOVAS clinic there. Sure. And because so she was being requested so much, she was fired which I thought was interesting. And I feel like that was the birth of in-home because she went around doing in-home cases. Wow. And, yeah. And then she started training people in that low boss style. And that's kind of, I don't know. I, I really love that story. It's something that we don't really get to talk about like in a field in general. And yeah. right. And I really do. I really do love that book. I think it gives a really good history and again, how applied behavior analysis fell into that right like and it was just you know Lovas doing his thing and we can that could be a whole separate conversation but yeah for sure right right <laughs> um I I really do love that one and then when I think about autistic voices and really helping shape your perspective as a clinician um one of my favorite ones is We're Not Broken yeah um, by Eric Garcia I I really do love that book. I think he comes in a very honest style and he talks about people he knows and he talks about his own experiences. And I really do love that. And one of the best things in that book, I think for me in general, that like I always recommend to people is he talks about how he is not entitled to his female friend's romantic feelings or attention or anything like that. And that's not his autism, that's his misogyny. And I just really appreciated that perspective because I don't uh, have to hear it, you know? And I just, I don't know, whenever I recommend that book, I recommend it to everybody. And there's different things at different times I think they're gonna are going to touch people and really yeah. inspire them and inspire them. But that's what I really love about um, that book. It's just very honest. He, if, if I do recommend it to parents, which I have, you know, I had friends who... They found out, you know, their child is on the spectrum or they have an autistic child. I recommend that one quite often. I think That's it's a awesome. Yeah, I, I really love that one. Um, oh, oh, I love that. You know, and, and it's so it's so great, too, because, you know, 
when I think of like BCBAs having like, you know, a certain um, quote unquote arsenal, right? An arsenal of literature, arsenal of books, you know, I'm thinking of like a specific set of books or specific like, you know, couple books that you might like find, okay, every BCBA should have these things, not just the white Bible, not just the ethics book, but mm -hmm. other pieces of literature. And so, you know, kind of thinking of that too, what is one book that, one other book outside of the white Bible and outside of the ethics book, would you say is like the book that should be on every BCBA's bookshelf, even aside from the two that you just mentioned? Aside from the two, I think this is one we've talked about before. I think Neurotribes is, um, it's just one of those books that I think every 50 pages, you're going to have a takeaway. And it's a really lengthy book. I know you you have it, you have it in person, and it's a, it's a pretty thick book. Oh, yeah, uh, 400 and I think 65 pages or something. <laughs> I think it's like 16 hours on Audible, if I remember, 14 or 16. It's, it's a huge read. Yeah, yes. and I have it physically and I have it on Audible and I've done both and it yeah. is it is one of those books like as a clinician um you take a break and you read something from it you're gonna have a takeaway or you're gonna have a different perspective or you're gonna see people you know or you're gonna see yourself you know in different parts of that book um don't get me wrong love Cooper I I whip out Cooper honestly every day um <laughs> literally don't let that imposter syndrome fool you buddy everyone needs a good cooper a little cooper break yeah. yeah don't feel like you're not a clinician because you're whipping it out if anything you're more of a clinician when you're whipping it out you can take great examples from it and ethics of course amazing and i really want to see neurotribes like something that is going to be incorporated into our practice i would love to see it maybe in the future being taught in ABA coursework, I think that would just be so amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm like I like I was telling you before we officially started recording, I'm about 100 pages in. And I cannot tell you like, so I'm a physical book person, because, you know, my auditory processing is not the greatest. And you know, sometimes trying to remember things, um, when it comes to like my executive functioning, um, I tell people this a lot, but my executive functioning is like a steamy pile of mashed potatoes <laughs> like that is how great i am with remembering things so you know for me having that physical copy where i can just mark it up and you know like highlight it i mean i literally have pages bent in the book just so that way i have like my my things that i highlight in the book mm -hmm. as a reminder of hey michelle like this is this is a takeaway for you you need to remember this you yeah know? Yeah. And I, I remember saying to you, like, oh, man, that's so cool. Like, I love people that can do that. I love I love hearing how people mark things up and how people like do that, because I, I I can only imagine like later on, let's say like a year from now, you pick that book back up and you read that same page and those words either hit you the same way or maybe it hits you a different way because you've had a whole year with it. You know what yeah. I mean? That's yeah. So uh, that is amazing. Uh, I. And I mean, even so far, you know, you mentioned this book, you know, potentially going into ethics courses and, you know, maybe even a part of our ethics code, which I would love to see too, you know, just on the little bit that I've read so far. Um, that being said, you know, um, kind of diving into the next question that I have, you know, what role do you believe books play in the ongoing education and professional development of behavior analysts? Well, of course, in our coursework, you know, we have these really amazing textbooks that, that you know, we all have to read. And sometimes it's a really dry read because it's it's very, I feel very analytical and it's very much removed from the people that we serve and we support. Whether you're supporting athletes or businesses or um, in folks who are on the spectrum, ADHDers, who, whoever it is, right? Um sometimes it's very dry and I think as a clinician you don't really get to have that that takeaway from the community you're serving right? right and I think when we're thinking about ethics and we're thinking about something like neurotribes I I know you're like in the first hundred pages and I don't want to spoil it for you but I think like the first part of that book is telling you this is not new 
This is something we've seen a long time. We just now have a name for it. And when you like look at something like a different key that has that, that history component and then how Neurotribes is, and you see how those two books kind of really walk you through these different decades and these different eras, eras you start really seeing that, wow, like this is evolving since we've gotten a definition and we've gotten a label and we've gotten a word, right? From yeah. like way back in the day in like the 19, 1940s, I believe, like 1942, I think it was like the first time it was like used. And then it goes into where we are present day and how we have people talking about ADHD and autism and how sometimes they're co-occurring and we have just different things in the mix. So I would really love to see somebody take a really great stab at that and incorporate that into our ethics because we already do it in our ethics book. I think they talk about like the Sunland and everything that happened there. And I think neurotribes could really expand on some things and give you a bunch of takeaways from it. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, like, you know, this book is just such an incredible read. Mm -hmm. um, and granted, you know, I wanted to try and finish it before today. I got it a couple of weeks ago, just for <laughs> perspective. And, you know, outside of outside of being a host, you know, I work a full time job, I work a couple jobs, actually. But that being said, you know, it's like, I definitely want to get like caught up and continue reading and, you know, kind of on that too, you know, when it comes to like the time management aspect, you know, um, for behavior analysts who may hesitate to prioritize reading amidst their busy schedules, like someone like me, you know, what advice do you have for making it manageable and also at the same time, highly rewarding? Oh man, I do not read fast. I don't want people to think that I'm consuming literature at an alarming rate. I think that's such like a negative thing to put out there. And I just yeah. like on Instagram and stuff, people are like, I read 500 books this year. And I was like, Oh, I read three and they were amazing. And I'm still like book drunk over them. Right. Like I'm still in my book hangover. So you need to calm down. Um, when it comes to prioritizing, I always tell people read what you're passionate about. If yeah. you're not passionate about the field, that is totally fine. You don't yeah. have passion about the field, but read things you are passionate about. If you are somebody that loves like spicy and romance, read something spicy and romance with the main character, an autistic person, because that's going to yeah. help you tackle your bias, right? Autistic people have love. They have complicated love lives. They have things going on, right? Yeah. Truth, truth, total truth. Truth. If you're somebody that likes, you know, um, memoirs, read memoirs about things. Read, read memoirs about people you think are really important. And those are kind of gateways. And I um, drive a lot. I'm a mom. I'm a BCBA. I'm all over the place. And my car is really like my library. I listen to everything. Don't get me wrong. There's some books I cannot listen to. Like, I know we were talking about neurotribes. That is a book I can do a chapter at a time in, a, in the car. And then I mm -hmm. need like a while to process what I read. Yeah. Because it sit with me. And I'll even bring out the physical copy to really like look over and like find that thing that really like sparked it for me. Yeah. Um, recently, um, I read through the car, through Audible, um, yeah. Unmasking Autism by Dr. Devin Price. And that okay. book. They read so well in that book. And I just enjoy um, Dr. Price's voice, their intonation, how they're reading. It just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It is very calming and soothing. But I walk away, I walk out of the car with like such a great message. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's great, but I know not everybody has that privilege or that time, right? So you'd be surprised what 15 minutes a day can do. And I, I have friends who physically cannot sit and they cannot sit and read. And I'm like, I feel you. Um, body, body doubling is amazing. If you have somebody in your life that loves to read aloud, have them read aloud to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you'd be really surprised of how much you enjoy that. That's so, you know, that's actually a really good point too. You know, like, 
and and you know you mentioned with neurotribes you know you have to read like a chapter and then you have to be done for a little while i noticed the same thing Mm -hmm. and now like it makes me that much happier that i haven't completed the book yet because of the fact that like i feel like on my end i have to make sure that i'm totally like Mm -hmm. you know in tune with the book you know because what'll happen is like you know i might have to do something or something might happen or i might just end up being too tired and i'm not as focused as i want to be but then at the same time like once i'm focused then boom here i am i'm all in and oh my gosh this book is amazing here goes michelle with that highlighter uh, (laughs) and the bed pages making sure that i have those i'm taking pictures of each like quote that i'm highlighting because for me, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I like things very salient. And so I have to make sure, like, for me, if it is a great, like, quote for me to do that, I'm going to highlight, I'm going to take photos. I'm going to make sure that like, those are with me. Yeah. Oh, no, I totally agree. And uh, again, like, don't ever shame anybody for how long they're taking. Like, they want to let that book, those words, like, ruminate and roll over you and give yourself that time and that space and that grace to be like this is a this is a hard read for me and even if you love reading right this is a hard read because even like something with like neurotribes right or or unmasking autism there were a lot of takeaways so I have to really pause and really digest what I've what I've just listened to or the words that have like swam into my eyes and I'm like you know uh same thing like looking at those quotes, looking at those words, and what do they mean to me, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't ever think, um, anybody that's listening, don't ever think, like, just because you're not doing a book a month or a book a week, uh, you are unaccomplished, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's so true, you know? And it's it's so funny because I've seen on, like, even my own, like, bucket list before, because I, I like to make bucket lists for myself. Um, mm-hmm. I have a 40 before 40 list literally on my refrigerator right now. And I know, like, in the past, I've made bucket lists where it's been like, okay, try to read five books in a year. And it's like, what I, I can barely do one. So why am I setting myself up for this? Right. And, and just because you're consuming it doesn't mean you're, like, really taking it in, right? If you read Neurotribes and it takes you that whole year, what a beautiful journey that was. You know what I mean? Like when you look back at like the start of the year, I started this book and here I am at the end of it. And it, I don't know, at least for me, I would feel so accomplished. I would be like, wow, like I really took this with me for a whole year of my life and how wonderful that is. Oh, that is, that is so cool. Like, I love that so much. Oh, oh my gosh. So kind of like on that too. So how would you say reading books, especially those outside um, the realm of behavior analysis, contribute to the specific skills or perspective um, for, or contribute to the development of clinical skills for behavior analysts? Oh man, I, again, I I mentioned this before, but I think books really help challenge your bias. Um, You shouldn't be in this field. Let me rephrase that. You shouldn't be somebody that's working to support a community when you don't understand or value that community right? Like not being respectful of it. Um, We have biases that we're working towards and we're working away from, right? Or or yeah, like working towards to get rid of. And reading memoirs about autistic people who have, you know, had to like leave families or had to leave jobs or had to restart their life or had to look for an answer to what was going on in their bodies, you know? That's really important. And those are really valid experiences. And what I see a lot is, I do see a lot of um, uh, mentions of ABA being like, really terrible, really awful. And that's okay, right? Because I'm reading this book to really challenge and change how clinicians approach this group of people. Um, I'm so sorry. Can you uh, say your did I answer your question or do I need I think to go? You did it. I think you did. Yeah, you know, cuz um yeah, I mean those things are are helping us with like um developing our clinical skills. It can even go as far as helping us with our decision making, right? So, kind of on um ethical decision making, um you know, can you provide some examples of how insights gained from literature have helped 
you know, you as a behavior analyst navigate complex ethical decisions within your own practice? Oh, man. Oh, what a great question, actually. Um, I think about a lot of things that I've read that have really influenced me clinically. And when I'm looking at these really hardcore ethical decisions, and I, I'm pretty sure everybody can relate to this, you know, you may have started to understand this neurodivergent movement and becoming more neuro, um, neurodivergent affirming, right? And yeah. you are really caught in between two worlds, right? You're caught in this really rigid ABA world, but you want to be this really good clinician that makes people feel comfortable. Yeah. And one thing that I did learn, you know, in my undergrad, and I think that stuck with me, a lot of things I, I heard was sometimes that child is the first disabled person those parents meet, right? And I think about that every time I am working with a family and they are asking me to do something that I feel is really, un I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with. So I have to remember this is the first time that they're probably meeting somebody um, in their family that it is actually diagnosed, right? Yeah. They, you might have met an autistic person who was not diagnosed that maybe had like been labeled, you know, obnoxious or stubborn or, or inflexible, right? And this right. is the first time that they've like have somebody that they really love and care about have this label. And even, I think I've read so many different accounts of like parents realizing like, yo, this is me too. Like, this is strange, right? And they have that self-realization. But sometimes yeah. families that are asking me to do things, I, th I think, really go against our own ethics, right? So looking back about, like, the different titles I've mentioned, I think about social validity and the social significance of something and who is the most vulnerable in this situation. And yeah. I really do love that I have an arsenal of books that I can recommend because I would tell a family, like if a family was like, yo, I really, really don't like the stems. Right. And I'm not a speech person, but I know there's a lot of really great resources out there. So I can right. tell it's like, well, why don't you look up this or why don't you look up that? Or if I have a family that's really against stereotypy in general, even though it's not harmful, I would be really clear with them. Hey, you know, um, I really recommend this to parents. Uh, go ahead and take a read. Go ahead and, and listen to it because um, I know sometimes, you know, we're all busy people. Um, yeah. Really kind of sure. read up on this. And, you know, this autistic community, they really don't want us working on this because it's not always a problem. Right. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There are going to be things we're going to work on because we got to keep people safe, you know. But let's talk about that first. Let's talk about having replacements for whatever that child is needing or that person needs. Right. Um. So when I think about all the things that I've read, it's really made me a really complex decision maker because now yeah. I'm thinking about autistic culture. I'm thinking about this family that maybe is not exposed to it. And I'm looking at myself as, as this person that's a gateway to kind of give them that information like that, too. And I've also kind of moved away from like doing the medical model kind of thing. I think after reading so much of this, I got um, really exposed to like the social model of disability and how do we help people in that model versus like the medical model. So sometimes, you know, I know we all like work through insurance and they frustrate us and don't get me wrong, like I will do what they're asking, but I need to do a little bit more because on the social side of things, that family is really hurting for this kind of support and this understanding. Right. Because right. you're right. Like we can make decisions that technically are ethical, but we're not really thinking about that person, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I'm so glad you say that, too, because insurance, <laughs> insurance <laughs> looks at medical model only. And, you know, like and, and it's it's interesting, too, because, you know, like you're development, you're giving me such like a different perspective too, because, you know, when I first started out in the field, it was all about, you know, medical model, we have to do it this way. You know, we're going to do it low boss style. We're going to do it this specific pattern as opposed to this way that is quote unquote. And unfortunately, like even some of my supervisees in the past have said new, but it's not new. Yeah. 
So such a shame, such a shame. Uh, But it is good that, you know, our field is starting to become more evolved in that regard. And, you know, it's, it's also why to like, um, it's also why too, like, I feel like this episode is so pivotal because, you know, people need to have an idea of what literature is out there because Mm -hmm. we have, you know, we get told all the time, do your research, you know, look at your journals and whatnot, but also like, look at other perspectives too. It's not just about journals. It's not just about that white Bible. Don't get us wrong. We love them. We abide by the white Bible, but there's other things too, you know? Yes, absolutely. And like, I tell people all the time, I know articles are not accessible to everybody, you know? Right. Even I've, I've trained all my supervisees on how to read research articles because I tell them like, if you read it, like start to finish, you are going to walk away with such, such hardcore imposter syndrome that it's, it's going to be so disheartening. So I tell them, these are the parts I read. This is the order I read it in. Um, there's another BCBA who also did something very similar. I'm going to find her name. I'm so bad with names and I will send it to you, but she also did something very similar. Uh, and, and it was, it had such great takeaways, but, um, if people do ask me, I always plug the behaviorist book club. Oh, okay. Such a great resource. And I remember this guy's name because I don't know. I hear it all the time. Matt Harrington's amazing. Um, as somebody who doesn't have the time to read, yeah. he really breaks down really current research and what it means and how it connects to other research. And that's something that like he talks about quite a lot and that's his passion and that's something he loves doing. And I'm like, yeah, if you love doing it, I'm going to listen to it because reading a research article can be so dry when we don't uh, talk about the people it affects, you know? Uh, I love that so much. Oh, that makes me so happy. I'm, I'm definitely, we're definitely going to have to dive into that a little bit more. Um, but first, um, so I wanted to go ahead and do our first podcast code word. Our first code word is spine, like the spine of a book and the spine in your back. So that is S-P-I-N-E, spine. Um, and so um, kind of on that too, so, you know, you mentioned to like, you know, someone who doesn't really have a whole lot of time to, um, you know, we talk, we've been talking about how, you know, reading and like the literature in general um, can really help us in many different ways as clinicians, um, you know, so that being said, um, are there any reading habits or routines that you personally find effective in maximizing the benefits of literature for your own professional growth? Ooh, ooh. I think for me, again, I read things I'm passionate about and I find those things in regular literature, right? Or, 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 or just regular books, like outside of textbooks. So a really good example of this is like, I, for one year, was like super into um, ABA sustainability, right? And there's not much out there, right? There there really isn't too much out there. Um, I read Science of Consequences because that's written by Susan Schneider, who uh, does a lot of work uh, with environmentalism and ABA. Um, But she turned me on to a book because I went to her, I went to see her at a conference and she really turned me on to making shift happen. And that book's very large. And yeah. when I'm tackling something really big, again, I have to have the passion for it. I give myself the okay to walk away. Yeah. Um, I think we don't do that enough as like just people in general. Like I think we like we like power through and I don't know about you, but I get so resentful if I do that and I don't want to read and I don't want to like try again because it was just such a punishing experience um but that's one of I think the big things I do I find things I'm passionate about I try to stay away from routines because I what I see happen a lot is like people really beat themselves up when they miss their deadline yeah but if you are somebody that loves the deadline and loves the reward you can actually put reading mode on your phone and set reading goals and oh, it'll tell you like, oh, you hit your goal today. You're so good at stuff. And you're like, stop. <laughs> stop. 
stop we it. Love a little bit, oh. We love a little bit of positive reinforcement, right? <laughs> and, and some people love that. Some people really love the social aspect of it's a rainy day and I'm going to be really cozy and cute. And I'm going to put, you know, like some tea on and open a book. And if you're one of those people that need that whole experience to read, make time for it. Um, I had BCABA brunch uh, <laughs> this past weekend. And we were talking about bed picnics. And I think this is something like we people just don't do often. And it's you get your fancy pajamas on, nice crisp sheets. It's a Sunday. You bring out a book and you read it, you know. And for those of us that have like tiny humans that they demand us, <laughs> we, we talk about having um, having the time and having space for it. So me as somebody that I love to walk in the morning and I walk by myself, that is the time that I'm listening to something. Could I easily stop and read for 15 minutes out of the day? I totally could. Um, yeah. So I, I guess those are, those are the big three things. Be passionate yeah. about it. Be okay with walking away. And set yourself little goals if that really is something that you really love and you really work for. Um, I see a lot of books come out about a lot of different things, right? Like, I think we see books come out about classroom management and, and behavior this and behavior that and autism this and autism that. Let yourself have a break from things that you feel like are are too much for you, like I just read Unmasking Autism. I feel super inspired by that book. But yeah. somebody might read that and be like, I'm a monster, right? Like, it, it could happen. It could totally happen. And give yourself the time to digest and be book hungover for a little bit. Like, don't feel like you have to, like, jump into the next thing. Um, yeah. I think that's how I feel like there's a book called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Can't remember who wrote it because I'm bad with names. But <laughs> That is one I can never listen to. I will never listen to that book. I think I've tried like three or four times. Really? Um, I have to physically read it because to me, it's um, it's very much like a textbook. So, oh, that yeah, recognize those limits in yourself, like, and just be cool with that. Like, this is a book that I'm going to read whenever I have actual, like, time to sit and do something. Yeah. Um, not do anything. Excuse me, not do anything. Versus, like, I can pop this on Audible and I can enjoy whatever activity I'm doing and also getting this auditory input in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's so good that you say that too, because I think there's this like thing with reading that I have noticed, like, Oh, you have to hit this goal. And even with like deadlines, I'm a, I'm a deadline queen. Like I came from journalism before I got into a five behavior analysis for perspective. And yeah. So I go by deadlines, like, one of the things that I ask for from my bosses is please give me a deadline because I will do amazing with that. But also too, if I don't meet that deadline, then I'll cry. I'm getting now, you know? And so that being said too, like, you know, it's really good that you talk about that because one of the things that I'm curious to know too, is kind of on the issue or on the topic of challenges. Um, have you ever encountered any challenges in promoting reading amongst behavior analysts? And if so, how have you addressed them? Oh, man, I think I naturally do love to read. Like, that is just something that I really enjoy. And um, I'm not going to lie. I I sometimes I, I talk to my colleagues and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, haven't you read X, Y and Z or haven't you, you know, and I've learned to change my language on that because, like, again, everyone has a different, like, relationship with reading. And yeah. some of us, you know, through the skin of our teeth got able to go through graduate school and pass our exam. And, you know, after passing your exam, you might not feel the, the need to do it. And they're more um, CU people, right? They're more like, teach it to me, you know. So mm -hmm. what I've seen happen quite a bit is I see people wanting to do it and they just don't have the motivation. And that's okay, right? That's okay. When I've tried promoting it with like, let's say even in my inner circle and I'm like, hey, let's do a book hub and let's read. Not all of us have the time or not all of us have the motivation for it. Um, I was at a book club at work and we did verbal behavior and I know people love Skinner. I know they do and that's great and that's awesome. 
But I want you to know that was that was a hard book club for me to be in. But I wanted that community. I wanted us to talk about this book. I was like super into studying. But Viral Behavior is a hard book. And right after that, it's it so is. And right after that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do Walden, too. Like, I'm going to try it. And I want you to know, I have ne- I have not finished that book. I got to the part where he's uh, he talks about like the nursery and the babies. And oh I'll yeah, like, have you have you read it? Have you had a chance? No, I haven't. I'm I'm curious. Oh, well, let me tell you, I was oh I was I was so pressed about that book. And whenever I see like book clubs come up, and I think that that's a very common thing in a company for like to have a book club. Um, I feel like you should be able to have that that rule for yourself. Like, if the book's interesting, I'm going to join. But if it's not, it's okay for me not to join. It should yeah. be something you want to do, right? Like, I know a lot of people don't do self-help. And that's okay. Because there's a lot of things that they they don't want to talk about that subjectivity. You know? Yeah. They want to talk about concrete things. And that's okay, you know? Yeah. So, Whenever I come into contact with BCBAs that don't want to read, like don't read literature and don't don't even read research, that's always hard for me. Because then I just wonder, I'm like, my guy, like, how are you, how are you progressing in this field? And and when I when I get people that are super resistant, I I often I often understand there might be like some underlying like imposter syndrome going on there, or they're they're not really in this field for the right reasons and it's very rare I encounter that you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you know it's it's so interesting too because um you know like I'm lucky enough personally to have met many people who are into you know reading up on the latest literature and there are some few that are just like eh, you know this isn't this isn't very motivating for me and you know um and that being said too like what would you say is your advice, you know, for somebody who, you know, maybe, maybe they really love the field. Maybe they really love like what we do in our field, but for some reason, they just don't want to read and get caught up on the literature. Like they just, they just don't, there's no motivation there at all. Oh man, you, you got to go all the way back. We're going to, we're going to take it back to act been like what's your why what are you what are you doing you know what I mean um let's say and this is just hypothetical right like let's say we have somebody who's in that situation and again setting events we we gotta look at all the things going on with this person's life there might be burnout they might be experiencing x y and z and I know this is gonna sound so ridiculous (laughs) I know this um start with children's books get back into like the love of it like um, there's so many beautiful children's books out there talking about neurodiversity, ADHD, autism. I recommend this to a lot of families because they don't tell their kids anything. And I think that's so strange to me. Yeah. Um, but they don't or, or like that child has heard that they have autism and they don't necessarily know what that means. And now it has all these ne- negative connotations with it. Start with yeah. children's books. And if you are somebody who is like. I want to learn more. I'm motivated by that, but I can't read. Again, we 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 come back to accessibility. Again, yeah. Matt Harrington, the Behaviorist Book Club, he breaks it down in a really beautiful way for you. But let's say you're you're audit, you're you're not an auditory person and you need to have it like um, written out for you. There's nothing wrong wrong with a friend who is really into that and highlighting something for you. Or, like, talking to you about it. Like, what a great, like, social experience to have that and have those questions. So, I, again, I think we we always look at everything so individualistically that we are collective. Like, we are a, 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 a I don't want to say a team, but we are a community, right? We I are. See B- yeah, I, I see BCBAs all the time. They're, they're colleagues, they're friends. Like I said, like, we have BCBA brunch and lunch and we get together. And what if somebody wanted to talk about, like, I know the really popular one was like the kindness extinction. And like, let's say I hadn't read it or I have a friend who like just won't, who doesn't even know how to pull it up. And that's such a barrier. And they don't want to ask because again, the imposter syndrome, all this stuff. Right. But you have mm-hmm. somebody who's super passionate about it and they want to talk about it. Like 
there's always ways to find how you're going to grow in the field. And if you don't want to read the author's books because you feel it's too challenging for you, you don't have enough time, follow that author. Like, watch interviews about that author. Have them explain their book to you, right? Have them talk about why they came up with it and what the process was. I Again, like, I just look at things, like, that surround the books. And it's okay for you not to want to sit and, like, turn the pages. It's fine. It's a great experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it's so, it's so interesting because you, something that really stuck out to me was children's books, right? And, you know, like, I myself do have some children's books in my personal library. Some of them are not related to autism. Some are related to, um, you know, something that I very much love, which are dogs, my specifically pugs. And I also have some um, books about neurodiversity and inclusion, but they are children's books. And, you know, it's, it's so great because I do think that children's books, not just for children, are not just great for children, they're great for adults too. And on that note, too, I'm so curious to know, do you have any specific children's book that are um, based around neurodiversity and autism that you would recommend for a BCBA to have in their library? Yes, I think it's called Wonderfully Wired or Wonderful Brains. I I did send you a book list earlier, and I know it's on there. I, again, super bad with names and titles. I love yeah. that one. I think it's oh. so good. I love... I love stories like that. I love the imagery. I think it's very, very beautifully drawn. Um, And then another one, Temple Grandin wrote one. And that's one I recommend to a lot of families because it's a really like, uh, she's a household name, you know? And that's what I would recommend to families. And I think it's the girl who thinks in pictures. Yes, I read that book. Oh, that is such a good book. Uh, Yeah. And um, yeah, and just going on and finding different, you can even like type neurodiversity children's book and things pop up. And there are creators on Instagram who like, that's their thing. Their thing is just neurodiversity books or books about disability for kids. And just find things that you love, you know, I think there's another one called Scattered Brains. I haven't, I haven't had the chance to read that one yet. But like, yeah. judging a book by its cover, it looks good. It looks like a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a good I book. might have to look I might have to look into that too. And I think I found the book, by the way, Wonderfully Wired Brains. Oh, yeah. It's, again, like, I think if you want to get back into a love of reading, read with pictures. There is no shame. No, we do not book shame here. Okay. Um, And if, and and just think about like tapping into, again, like this sounds so wild, like your inner child and just nurturing that for them. Remember being read to or remember your teacher pulling out something and you just, really loved it. You know what I mean? Get back into Uh, books uh, you love. I love that so much. And, you know, I, like I said, like, I love, I I love the fact that you've recommended so many different books. And I love too, that like, again, even children's books, because children's books don't always have to be just for children. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some really good children's books that adults should have in their library. Like, you know, the one that you mentioned, and even like some of the ones that I have um, in my library, I wish I could get up and like pull them and show you which ones I have but I have a few books that are on um inclusion and um and neurodiversity and also um the disability movement um the ADA movement mm-hmm. um, I'll have to I'll have to pull that from my list but that being said I mean you know I'm so glad you said that too because unfortunately too like either we like you said earlier you know we're either caught up in so much work and we just don't feel like we have the time um, or we find ourselves um, not motivated, mm-hmm. you know? So that is very true. Yeah, it does happen. And again, like I hear so many people that are like listening is not reading. Reading a children's book doesn't count. I, how you're taking in this content, if you walk away with takeaways, guess what, buddy? You've read something. Um, yeah, sometimes sitting down and reading like an actual book is just not, it's just not an option. And that's okay. That's yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just as valid to read a book like the very hungry caterpillar, just as much as it is to read neurotribes. Like, yeah, it's a book. Oh <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. And if you have a client and their special, special interest is reading good. Oh, that's amazing. You're probably reading every day. You know what I mean? Um, I love 
The Giving Tree. I love that book. How many times have I read it? Once. But <laughs> I promise you, every time that book gets opened and I just like look at it, tears, tears, because like I understood the message very, very young and just cried. And I somebody bought that book for my children and it's in Spanish and I promise you it has the exact same effect. And I have not read it because it is it's too deep for me. It cuts too deep. I don't know what it hits, but it hits something. Oh, oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm pretty sure that if I were to look up the giving tree, I'm pretty sure I've either read it or it's been a really long time, but I'm going to have to look that up and just make sure. (laughs) Shel Silverstein, man, he was changing lives, writing poetry. So such cute books, but yeah, everybody has those, um, those books that they'll go back to. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. So, you know, kind of like looking into the future of reading and applied behavior analysis, how do you envision the role of reading in our field evolving in the coming years? And with that, too, you know, thinking about emerging trends or developments, um, do you think that there are any um, trends that are going to emphasize the importance of incorporating diverse perspectives through literature? I think a big trend that I'm seeing now, um, just in general, I'm seeing a lot more autistic people get into the field and maybe they got into this field and they didn't realize they were autistic, but then like slowly through like meeting other people and, and unmasking themselves, they realize like, Hey, like this, I'm not a terrible person. Like me having autistic traits isn't awful. And I see that playing out. Um, because remember when you look at where we started with, with autism and in the field and where we're going now, I feel like maybe in the next 10 years, it's going to be part of our ethics code to make sure we're reading some of this literature by some of these autistic authors. And that's going to be also included in our coursework. Right. Um, And I would really love to see that. I would really love to see up and coming um, BCBAs being exposed to this and this idea, because we don't always get to get this, um, from our companies um, or the agencies we work for. What I do see in some agencies is that they're starting book clubs. And again, I I love the idea of it. I think it's great, um, but I'm not one to like, I, I wanna read what I want or I want us to get together and talk about what we read, right? Not yeah. answer questions or making it super like, oh, we gotta hit these points, X, Y, and Z. Um, but I think that is something we're going to start seeing influencing the field quite a bit, that that's yeah. not going to be a selling point for some for some agencies to get BCBAs to come over. Hey, we have a weekly book club and you just have to attend. You don't even have to read the book. Somebody's going to present it to you. Or if you want to read along, you can. And then we can all talk about it. Right. Because we all love. Well, most of us, I would imagine, love that sense of community and talking about literature and talking about how something affected us and some of us just love to listen and like learn from like our peers talking about it but that I feel is going to be I I really do hope in the next couple years that being part of our coursework and things we have to learn about and again added to our task list or added to our um what is it called now uh our code of um our code of ethics code of no um testing content outline right that's what they're going to start yeah. calling the task list yeah testing. oh yeah i forgot about that. i read the newsletters <laughs> i need i need to i need to get caught up i'm not gonna lie but that being said you know it just again it goes to show you to like and, and i'm so glad that you have talked about like wanting to bring this up in coursework and you know within um within our actual like um in our field in general but also in our education because again like it kind of goes back to like conversations that I have personally had with some of my supervisees, you know, about how like some of the things that we're learning about that like I'm teaching them are new because they're so used to follow through with the task and follow through with the demand in place. But it's like, but there are underlying circumstances, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's amazing. It's so amazing to me. And I'm just, I'm really just happy that, you know, our field is evolving that much more and of course we need to continue to evolve um Mm -hmm. and i this is truly one way we can do that 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to see um, maybe a university pick up neurodiversity studies and that be something somebody can major in. Because, again, like there's so much information out there that is not being shared. And when you start really diving into some of these things, you realize like that's not something I considered about this particular person I worked with. And this might be something. Oh, man, I know we're at the end, but like PDA, I didn't learn about PDA until I read this book. And I was like, PDA is a thing. And um, now I want to deep dive into it. And there are some books on that. And I really love that that is like now up and coming because something you would do for an autistic child, you are not going to do for a child with PDA, I promise you. Um, True. And, and some of us don't know that. And some of us don't know yeah. that like... Um, you know, just neurodiversity in general and how it all like plays together and it comes together. And I would really love to see, and I, I'm pretty sure I am going to see that hopefully in my lifetime where it's going to be neurodiversity studies taught by neurodivergent people. And yeah. they're, they're really leading the way and leading the charge on how these therapies and these support people can help, you know? Yeah let's make it happen. Let's, let's, you know, change the, change the course of history in that, you know, like, let's get that going. Cause I think that, you know, like, again, and I'm speaking just from a neurodivergent perspective here, but I'm also speaking from a clinical perspective. That's just how we can grow and strengthen mm -hmm. our skills that much more, you know? So, Absolutely. Uh, well, our second code word is the word quote. That's Q- U-O-T-E, quote. So that's your second code word um, to get your free CEUs. Um, so couple one couple last questions for you because I've absolutely loved talking to you, um, you know, um, but I'm so curious to know, like, what would you say your final thoughts or recommendations are that you would like to share with our listeners regarding the intersection of reading, ABA, and ethical practice? Oh, I would say... Um, again, I think I've said this before, read what you're passionate about. Um, you will find ethics in kind of everything that you're reading. Um, take Neurotribes, for example, and you're reading the account of a family that received services or lack of services or what the medical model did and how it was just really unethical. And it, it, it really hurt that person who was most vulnerable. Yeah. Right. And when I'm looking at that intersection of all three, um, let's say, and again, hypothetical, I want to be a better leader to my team because I saw burnout in the field. I saw my BTs being um, a revolving door because there wasn't enough support. What can I do to change that? And maybe I need to lean into my OBM skills and maybe I need to lean into my leadership skills. What books can I read that are going to help me be a better leader or better communicator? Right. I know, yeah. um, we didn't get to talk too much about it, but like critical conversations, right? Crucial conversations, excuse me. Crucial conversations, great book. I have my I have my supervisees read that book, um, or if they can't, Cliff notes it because that is such an important part of what we do. We need to have these really hard conversations. We need to center the most vulnerable person first. And when I'm looking at ABA in the future, I think once we start again, uh, making sure we're making it a priority to see different perspectives, challenging our own biases, and just understanding the culture we're serving, right? We're going to be better clinicians. And we're going to make better ethical decisions. I love that so much. Oh, well, Priscilla, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you tonight. And where can our listeners find you? I'm on Instagram as bookedbx. Um, and, uh, that's pretty much it. I did also link up my good notes reads, my good notes lists for anybody. Um, there's quite a few more books on there that we didn't get to talk about. I have a whole parenting list of things I recommend to parents. Cause again, we are the gateway, um, because we are quote unquote, the experts of autism and just kind of helping them understand their autistic child and what they're looking for from them. And making sure my 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 practices don't harm anybody and giving that parent like the autonomy to make choices, because a lot of times they're just going to go with whatever we say. I'm like, we should lock them up and uh, do electric shock. They're like, you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, OK, they don't know any better. They think yeah. it's 
you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm going to say this in air quotes. Um, and I've said this probably about 50, like 50 plus times in my career. We are the quote unquote expert mm-hmm. of behavior and the quote unquote expert of autism. But the family is the true expert on their mm-hmm. child and the child is the true expert on themselves. Yes. You know? Yes. And let's give them tools to find that community and and really understand how best we can parent these kids, right? Because yeah. doing it the autistic way, mm, it's not the thing, buddy. It's not the thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, Priscilla, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you tonight. I have absolutely enjoyed this conversation. And to all of our podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this amazing talk. And um, I've been your host, Michelle Zeman, and I hope you guys have a good one. And I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>